Welcome to Season 1, Episode 15 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. Today, we're fighting off bandits and killing massive creatures for their sweet, sweet loot. We're hitching across a galaxy and finding ourselves in the inhospitable planet of Pandora. We're randomizing our loot and heading to the Borderlands, the gearbox property that puts us in an unforgiving world and hoped we could figure it out. Before we start our vault hunting journey and get attacked by seemingly everything, we're Joe and Mark, two dudes who love talking pop culture with you, and finally decided to start recording it for the enjoyment of other people. After you listen to the show, please like, comment, subscribe, and review. Reviews are very important to this show as we continue to find our audience, but we are extremely thankful for your support. But we need more of it, and we need your help to keep spreading the word, like our friend Roy, who we've now mentioned at least three times. This show can be found, though, where you listen to your favorite podcasts. We're on most platforms, most of the famous ones, that is. But if you got here by accident, try searching for Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast on your favorite platforms. If you're not following podcast websites, you can also find us on YouTube. We're also on Facebook and Twitter by searching for at Digital Dissect One. Our social media sites share more pop culture news and current information, so feel free to join the conversation. We will also continue to name drop our most vocal fans, so definitely let us know what you're thinking. I actually really wanted to hate Borderlands. I mean, hard when it first came out. Interesting. Um, just because, like, of all the time we've known each other and how much I know how much you really love this uh, this franchise, I didn't know that you wanted to hate it so bad. Yeah, I mean, just like uh, you know Jerry Seinfeld returning something for spite. That's ah. that's kind of how how things started with me because you know Gearbox uh, wasn't incredibly well known when they released mm-hmm. borderlands um but so as part of that issue they overcompensated by marketing the shit out of borderlands when it they, first came out <laughs> i do remember that oh my gosh i remember um uh the song that was used um which was i think it was the same song uh that was used for i think arkham city they mm-hmm. used the same um ain't no place for no hero is that what it was uh, so shortchange oh, no, no. hero was too shortchange hero. Yeah, that was the yeah. second one. Yeah, the first one was not shortchange hero. It that was, was cage, cage the elephant. That's the uh, one. Yep, ain't no rest for the wicked. That's it. Yep. Which I mean, I I absolutely love that that CD. I still mm-hmm. own it. Um, but that's that's what caused that spite, though, man. Like, it was a a property that I didn't know a ton about, and because of the advertising i saw it everywhere i, I hated claptrap for some reason <laughs> <laughs> which really is too bad because he's he's a great character claptrap is easily one of my favorite parts of the game oh yeah absolutely i i would just i i, I hated him because i saw him so many times and i'm like this is a stupid little robot i don't care about him <laughs> yeah dude so, he's a square ass r2d2 what's going on here yeah he's got one wheel I mean, you could just knock him over. Yeah, you know? just hit him from the side. You'll fall right down. You'll fall right down. He can't do anything. Oh yeah, there's no way he's preventing the cutoff throw at the plate. You know, he's mm-hmm. he's too tiny for that. But but yeah, I hated uh, Borderlands at first just because of that. And so I wouldn't actually play the game 
until about three years after it came out, oddly Ooh, enough. Okay. Yeah, so it was uh, on sale for like five bucks. And <laughs> well, might as well try at that point. Yeah, that's when I tried it. When did you, when did you pick it up? Uh, <laughs> when when you told me to, to be honest. Like oh, I, I seriously didn't play the game until like uh, we went on our like we tried doing our platinum um, trophy spree uh, for oh, PlayStation Network. Yes. So yes. we we tried going. I think what your goal was to get to level forty, and my goal was just to just to t- just to be along. Um, I didn't, I didn't have, like, I knew it wasn't going to hit 40, but I wanted to get as many as I could and enjoy the ride with you for as long as you wanted to do it. And I just remember like the feeling that I had playing was like a little kid who was like forced to go and do something. Not for is like, he wants to go hang out with his big brother. Strongly encouraged. Yes. And his <laughs> big brother has, is far more experienced and far better at this than him. And you just go along with it. And you were just slaughtering things left and right. And I was just gaining XP with doing like very, very little. I mean, that's an easy way to get ahead in Borderlands. If you haven't played it, just, just find somebody who's beefier and has a lot more weapons and you just ride that XP wave. Oh yeah. It's, it's pretty great. And I mean, XP is abound. Uh, you get better loot and better drops <laughs> yeah. when that's happening. So I was just getting all the, all the weapons, all the money, and all the XP with very, very little effort on my part. <laughs> I almost, I almost forgot about our, our great platinum uh, <laughs> journey. I was at it was like 2015, I think, or 2014. We, that we just, sounds about right. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. just, we went absolutely hog wild for that. But you really did. That's the uh, the platinum. I think the platinum brotherhood is what we called it. Yes, it we did. did. It did. <laughs> like the lengths we went to to platinum uh, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. By like oh. buying extra copies of the games for our friends and uh, like I think borrowing like a few other PlayStation twos, PlayStation threes, just to have have around yeah. for the sake yeah. of doing it. This this was something that we'll definitely cover mm-hmm. in a in a future episode because uh, Joe and I have long talked about this series we're going to do called the Games That Made Us, and this is def- Definitely a story that we don't want to keep from no. you. Mm-mm. We'll, we we'll get into that. Yeah. Yeah. But today we're here to talk to you about Gearbox and Borderlands. Um, so the focus that I wanted to start with here was looking at the CEO of Gearbox. His name is Randy Pitchford. And this guy's actually been, you know, involved in making video games for a very long time. Oh, yeah. I recognize the name from uh, the old Duke Nukem days. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The very crass and, uh, you know, hilarious to me when I was a kid, Duke Nukem. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, very crass. Like, it was definitely the first year game I ever played that had strippers in it. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then ones when they eventually had, like, pig heads and four sets of breasts. It was really weird. Yeah. Yeah. I got the people going, Joe, as we like to say. Did. You know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I got the blood pumping for the, <laughs> <laughs> for the nine-year-old me. Uh, you know... The, the studio he worked for was called 3D Realms back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably remember them from the title card on these on these uh, first oh, person yeah. shooters. Um, I played Duke Nukem for a little bit, but you know even my parents realized just how how not palatable that was for Ooh. a child of my age. So they <laughs> they kept us from playing Duke Nukem. What they couldn't do though was prevent me from playing Shadow Warrior, Ooh. which uh, you know was a, a very similar crass mm-hmm. type of first person shooter where you play this. This ninja uh, named uh, Lo Wang, I believe, um, his his tagline <laughs> right. was uh, "Who wants some Wang?" 
Oh uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, hard to believe a white guy designed that. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, you know what? For the time, um, once again, this is the age. The age I was. I was. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I didn't realize, you know, until I started digging into Borderlands after I played it, was that Randy Pitchford was connected to you know all three properties, um, and so. I guess for me, it, it made me realize that I've been programmed for this level of, you know, hyper realized violence alongside, you know, some, some average storytelling in those early games, but mm-hmm. yeah, Randy Pitchford was helping, you know, to distort my reality and, and what was acceptable behavior uh, for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well over 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Randy. Hold on. Yeah. Thanks, Randy. Yeah. Uh, you're probably the reason for why my kids will need counseling one day. Um, <laughs> but yeah, dude, after, after 3D Realms, though, um, just like how the folks at uh, Telltale Games, you know, the, in, the, in the aftermath of a lot of these action-adventure studios shutting down, um, some of the folks in 3D Realms would actually leave, uh, and then Randy specifically would bounce around from project to project until uh, Gearbox would be founded in 1999. So... Um, yeah, like the Duke Nukem series and some of these FPS games that he was designing. I mean, they were really popular right around like mm-hmm. 94, 95, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the, the golden age of these, uh, these really yes. uh, quote unquote violent FPS games. But um, <laughs> yeah, just was it 64 bits of mayhem at that time? <laughs> I don't I don't. Yeah. I mean, in, yeah, in the mid mid 90s, it was 64 mm-hmm. bits. Yeah. Uh, depending on how early it would have been 32. And then yeah. 16 and 8 but the uh the real fps stuff was was all the rage back oh yeah we're we're all talking about (laughs) oh man but but yeah so gearbox forms the very very end of the the 1900s um and takes us into uh the millennium with kind of an interesting idea um i'm not sure if you've seen the term halo meets diablo before i have not heard of it but i mean that cross does sound pretty borderlands <laughs> mm-hmm. yep yeah this would be randy pitchford's idea that he would be mm-hmm. you know molding and shaping for a while but not really sure how to get it into into a studio and get it in front of someone to to pay mm-hmm. them to make it <laughs> so yeah mm-hmm. what is it is it an rpg is it a first, first person shooter? shooter we yeah. don't know yeah what the hell is this idea mm-hmm. randy um, and, and be honest with you, you know, when I was, uh, when I was younger, I, I remember F like FPS games were just, they're just more fun. I think to me back mm-hmm. then, cause I didn't need a story. No, you know, I didn't, I didn't care who the character was and what Mm-mm. they were doing. Like none of that stuff. No, me. give me my friends, the golden gun and a Friday night and a bunch of freaking like, I don't know, tab or Mountain Dew, whatever you're drinking, whatever your poison <laughs> is, it's going to be a great night. Surge, were you popping some surge? Oh, surge, in? yes. <laughs> surge or jolt? Uh, Do you remember jolt? Oh, I remember jolt. Yes. <laughs> uh, I remember my hand shaking at like 3 a.m. You know, <laughs> it's the overabundance of caffeine. It's like a bizarre caffeine war of the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, like, we loved our caffeine back then, man. It why. was like the, the pre energy drink era. Um, and <laughs> it's all true. of its weirdness. It's very true. We just had copious amounts of caffeine jammed into, you know, these sodas. And yeah, dude, I remember that. That's what kept us going late into the night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, the, that, that whole FBS thing, you know, for, for some reason, they were easier for me to consume back then than they are now. Mm-hmm. And, 
it wouldn't actually uh, turn a tide for me until right around the late nineties where I would be playing more RPGs than I'd ever played before. And I mean, we're talking, mm-hmm. you know, both retro and modern uh, final fantasy chrono trigger. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you- I, I was, yeah, mm-hmm. playing the shit out of those back then. Oh yeah, did you ever get into Luna, the Lunar, uh, the Lunar series when you were younger? Uh no, no, not so much. Uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That might be more your your exclusive province on this episode. Yeah, it was a fun one. Uh, anime cutscenes, like animated ones that were like stitched in when you hit certain parts, it was all about that when you were in middle school. It was super cool. I'm like, ooh, look at these high quality cartoons with women <laughs> barely wearing any clothing. Once again, it's what got us going back then. Yeah, man. bizarre. It just hooked middle age, like middle aged, middle school, <laughs> middle like middle middle aged men probably too. To be honest, yeah. middle aged men, men in the middle, middle school. school, children alike. <laughs> Hello, fellow youth. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the this whole idea of of Halo meets I call it Diablo. Some might call it Di- Diablo, but I'm just going to call it Diablo. That's what I think we're going to go with. I mean, that's what you should go with. If you if you're saying Diablo, then. You just, just get the fuck out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Like, what is wrong with you? This guy's cabbage over here. I say Diablo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, when I first saw the the like the behind the scenes of this, and, and you keep seeing this Halo meets Diablo idea, mm-hmm. the more that I loved RPGs, the more that I realized how underserved of an idea this was. Because there's not, there's not really any. Uh, there, at least before this point, there weren't really any uh, comparable games out there, right? This is before mm-hmm. Destiny. Um, you know, this is this is before that kind of stuff. So, this idea of a of a game that could randomize loot and and be a first person shooter with an RPG element, I mean, this is the type of thing that I can't believe was almost started like by the shoestrings, right? Like they got this yeah. done by the shoestrings. Um, <laughs> Because nobody wanted to give it a shot. They laughed Randy Pitchford out of almost every every boardroom when he tried to give this idea to people. Which is weird because really, like putting those two genres together, like should have been like almost like someone should be like, why have we never tried this before? Like their RPG has been a staple in the gaming community for I don't know, quite a while at this point. And first person shooters are really beginning to emerge as uh something that's going to more or less take over the gaming industry. So like I don't know, like trying to combine them in a way should have just made sense. Well, I think part of the issue that uh, that came up for, you know, for the team here at, at Gearbox was that Borderlands was being pitched as a like a retro sci-fi look. Mm-hmm. It was in a wasteland, so they wanted it to be somewhat mechanical, you know, somewhat rusty. Yeah. And and uh, and then they had this whole idea of this, you know, this uh, this mashing of those two ideas together. So when you go into a, a room to pitch this type of idea to people, I mean, I think that's where the confusion comes in. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you want this slick looking game, but you want kind of a dirty, rusty area that it, that it occurs within. <laughs> then you throw in this RPG element to an FPS. I mean, how do you get behind that? I mean, who like if, yeah. if you're just a, a boardroom member and you're like going. Hey, just give me something that sells for 60 bucks a pop here. Mm-hmm. You know, this doesn't appear to be that thing. Yeah. Maybe, maybe with maybe that was thing, maybe it was trying to do too many things at once. And yeah. that's where it just was just overwhelming. It's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, you can't, you can't fly that close to the sun here, Randy. What the hell no. are you thinking? No, Randy, you may have gotten away with that kind of bullshit when you were asking people if they wanted some wing. 
but nowadays <laughs> we need a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> and, but keep in mind though, man, like we've talked about how, you know, most, like most video games are made by serious studios. You know, they're, they're looking at maybe a five to seven year development cycle. Mm-hmm. And when they were developing this game, you know, once they finally were given some money to play around with it, this identity crisis would come in a really bad time because uh, there were games like Rage that came out at this time, um, which uh, was also like an FPS set in a wasteland. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, got the uh, Fallout 3, like Resurrection, if you want to call it, of that series. And that has the same type of mentality where you've got a retro look, but it's also sci-fi and it's also in a wasteland too. Yeah, it does do all those same things. Yeah. Yeah, dude. So the folks that were making Borderlands, like they they knew they had a pretty unique idea that should reasonably sell, right? I but, mean, it, it should, but it also kind of sounds like they've they've got an uphill battle against them at this point. Oh, they absolutely did. I mean, they had a they basically had a, a date in mind that they wanted to launch this with, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the problem that occurred was that uh, Brian Martell, who was the chief creative officer at this point in time for the company. He basically started this like secret operation, this secret hidden project within the company. And it was to take a look at the game and potentially redesign every aspect of the, the artwork that was within it. Oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> they did this fairly late in the development process because they realized mm-hmm. we look too much like a bunch of games that are going to come out at the exact same time. So what does he do? Oh, he just scraps like three years of artwork that somebody did. <laughs> it's nothing. No big deal. <laughs> just, mm-hmm. just, just took all of it and threw it out. And you know what? I tried to do some research on who the marketing director was at that time or who the art director was. Yeah, I can't find the name anywhere because she was wow. so upset that she like left the industry. Wow. Yeah. This wow, just completely was... says she's done. Wow. Yeah. Okay. She was so upset by this process that she just said, yep, I am leaving and I am not coming back. And uh, honestly, I can feel for her because yeah. that's, that's, that's horrible. It's horrible yeah. for that kind of thing to happen, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, three years of your life and work and then suddenly it's like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and take another direction. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. We appreciate your hard work and mm-hmm. all the blood, sweat and tears you put into this. And we're just about to release this with your name on it, but, but hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, dude. So that's that's how we actually ended up getting the uh, cell shading effect that oh, yeah. Borderlands became known for. Mm-hmm. I know that was my first experience with cell shading was definitely uh, Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. Yeah. And yeah. I remember like that game getting a lot of initial flack because like this looks so like childish that, like with how cell shading looks. It looks so crazy cartoony. And we had just gotten done with like two incredible games with Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask and how fucking wrong everyone was about like Wind Waker because it was a beautiful game, which pretty much is the same thing with Borderlands because it's, I mean, it sounds like right now we're building up to so like, this is like probably a really bad idea, but, but turns out to be pretty great. Yeah. I mean, not not only was it, you know, a, a, just a beautiful way to reimagine this wasteland but mm-hmm. you know it it definitely set it apart from the whole rest of the field oh yeah i mean yeah, you're talking like it looks significantly different than like the 
the absolute seriousness of the follow game. Well, I was maybe absolute, absolute seriousness of the follow games. They have plenty of humor in them too, but a completely different tone still compared to fallout. Yeah. Yeah. The tone critically changes before you even know anything about the story. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've talked about the 3d realms connection to Randy Pitchford, that type of humor would make its way to borderlands. And so when I start to think about a game that manages to have like a hyper violent setting and you're trying to give that an identity of its own, uh, the cell shading definitely did. I mean, it, oh, yeah. it gave it instant personality mm-hmm. uh, to this whole universe. And yeah, I mean, millions of titles sold later. <laughs> yeah. It just yeah. works. Like, again, it, it shows that the game like doesn't take itself too seriously but at the same time, like you get a good story, you get really good, smooth, solid game mechanics. Uh, yeah. Comparing it to uh, to Fallout, like I didn't have nearly like the glitching and gameplay issues that the Fallout games were as great and fun as they are. Like you don't get those in um, Borderlands. Like it yeah. was just it operated so smooth. And then again, like that cell shading mixed with like the weird just grit and grimy like world that is pandora uh and your first literally like the first like five minutes of the game just you being introduced to the characters like it works beautifully like you get hooked instantly by just the style and the script and the gameplay and like the visual that you see so quick in this game yeah, I, I think from a distinguishing standpoint, um, you know, with Fallout, if you don't even look at story or mechanics, if you just look at textures and, mm-hmm. you know, how the landscape appears, um, you know, versus the things that are interacting with it, Fallout, I, you know, you know, I played that game for oh, yeah. 400, 500 hours. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it, it consumed a lot of my life uh, <laughs> for several <laughs> years. So don't get me wrong when I say this, but in Fallout, you tend to get a lot of, uh, texture oversaturation where mm-hmm. things just they just look like you know uh unidentifiable blobs right like it's mm-hmm. it's it's hard to see any distinction after a while yeah and with borderlands and the cell shading uh you know structure and using that to portray details um yeah it just gives a personality to the landscape that fits really well with that that that, that dark humor uh, somehow mm-hmm. spliced in with violence. And then, like you said, a story that doesn't take itself uh, too seriously. Yeah. So, yeah. And yeah, and that's, I mean, talking about that, that story and um, some of the characters, like you, you basically got this like Mad Max science sci-fi theme you've got going on here. And um, Claptrap is probably, like you said, like touching back on him, like you were, you kind of thought he was thoroughly annoying easily one of like the most like favorite characters of of this game uh i remember like one of the first things that i heard him say that maybe like again like really speaks so well to the character and just the uh i don't know, i guess like the atmosphere of this of this game series is he's talking to you getting you like already like in the uh basically tutorial portion of the game and if you've heard claptrap talk he's got this really like a like high-pitched jovial voice and he says something along the lines of like, don't let the sound of my voice uh, deceive you. It's just in my programming. I really am quite depressed. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, like, that's that's fantastic. <laughs> he, he he is a I, I love him as a as like a tutorial character because mm-hmm. uh, like, like there have been times where I'd start a game up or something and I would leave it idle for a little bit, and uh, whether I'm like making food or something, you sit there and uh, all of a sudden you'll just hear Claptrap yell. Follow the soothing sounds of my voice. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, he, he's he's a perfect uh, mm-hmm. he, like a SpongeBob SquarePants kind of character set against this this vicious and like wild wasteland that you're in. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love how the games typically start off with him, you know, trying to guide you along. It's mm-hmm. it was a it's a great great choice that they made with that. Oh yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, that, that Mad Max environment that you talked about, man. Um, it was really interesting for them to to pick that, despite what they were up against, right? We talked about Rage, which is a similar type of environment, and uh, and obviously Fallout. Um, but they they managed to balance that Mad Max style pretty well, and I think what that really stems from is trusting in their development crew. Mm-hmm. Like you, you had a crew that had a task of you know, basically completely redoing the game uh, after three, four years of development. Um, and so in trusting them that they could get the job done, it started off uh, like a lot of standard uh, business practices do where you don't have buy-in from everybody at first. And once they started to actually like make this critical shift in tone and like the artwork and everything, um, it went from what was like a 60 40 belief across the company to people just being completely bought in. And so once they started doing this and they're seeing the results of it, we got some really, really cool ideas out of this. Um, I don't know if you remember in the first game, but you had an ability as Roland to be able to shoot your party members to heal them. Uh, Do do you remember that? Oh yeah. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah, it was great because like if you like you got shields in this game that you can apply, right? Well, if your mm-hmm. shields are down and then you're getting hit, like yeah, the end is kind of inevitable after a bit. Um, but that ability to shoot to heal is one of those things that just kind of came out of this like creative shift and like all these things that they were doing, you know, late term. Um, and so this motivated team legitimately did not want to stop working on this game. I mean, they they loved it so much, they put so much effort into it, they just kept going. And so I got to say for a game that I didn't even want to try playing, I really do wish I would have paid, you know, full price for it. <laughs> just to, yeah. Just to well, tell these folks, the folks, thanks, man. You guys yeah. did a kick-ass game. Well, I mean, with the amount of money I think we've put into it over the years, I think it makes, I think they'll forgive you. They didn't buy the first game right away. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys are probably, I'll forgive <laughs> If y'all are listening at Gearbox, just know that Joe and I spent a lot of money on your game and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, this is an open invitation to join us if yeah. you ever want to do that. Any anytime. Um, <laughs> but but dude, you know what? With this game, what really made me love it even more than I, than uh than I did after I started playing it was just the the mentality of the people who were in charge. Mm-hmm. And when they were making this game, um, you can actually see this a couple times. Um, Randy kind of says it himself. Some of the developers have even been interviewed about this. And what the mentality of the gearbox like company at this time was, was that it's not about risks. It's about being okay. If you fail, because gaming is a very risky industry, right? Mm -hmm. 
people are going to be making choices that may not work. Um, they, they may completely fall flat on their face. Yeah. And yeah, we've seen games kind of live and die by that sword. Absolutely. Um, and it's even worse if you, uh, you make the mistake of really hyping your game and then it gets pushed back and you keep hyping it more and it gets pushed back again and you hype it again. And then it finally comes out and it sucks. Unless you're naughty dog. Unless you're naughty dog, that, that works out. <laughs> Naughty Dog and really the Legend of Zelda. Like there's not been a, I don't, has there been a single like Legend of Zelda game that they didn't push back and then it came out and they're like, you know what? It was fine. It's okay. In um, recent memory. No. Yeah. In, in recent memory, like every modern Zelda game has been pushed back. Yeah. And uh, almost every Naughty Dog release has been pushed back with like, the exception <laughs> of like one or two. Yeah. But they always come out and they, and they did exactly what you hoped they would do was just mm-hmm. make a cohesive and awesome game. And so that's something that I wish more, more studios would do um but yeah i mean what blows my mind about this joe was that you basically had a game that was already created like it was it was fully fleshed out Mm -hmm. Um, maybe they were doing some finishing things to it and you know they probably could have coasted to the finish line but they didn't (laughs) they completely pivoted and all of a sudden you've got this game with some of these like crazy rpg and fps elements built into it but then you've got the the abilities that they created off the cuff. And then you've got the, like the crazy combinations of weapons in this weapon generator that they, Mm -hmm. that they did with this man. I mean, when I was looking at the box cover for this and it was like, Oh, you know, 17 million combinations of weapons or whatever. And I was like, why do I care about that? Yeah. That's too much. Who can handle that? No one's got time (laughs) for 17 million weapon combinations. I thought nobody did until, I've been playing this game for let's say like 30 hours and I looked at my, my inventory and I had two assault rifles in there that Mm -hmm. if you just looked at the title, it's like, yeah, it's the same thing. Just sell one, whatever one you don't want to use and then get rid of the other. Well, then I actually started looking at the stock of the the rifle, the grips of the rifle, the butt Mm -hmm. of the rifle, the scope of the rifle. And I was looking at all these things and I went, Holy crap. Like, each one of these weapons has like like five pieces that are completely different on each one, even though the same title. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so and that and that was me just like not being a super fan or anything. I'm just checking mm-hmm. these things out, and I went, "Holy shit! Holy like, shit. This is this it's is crazy!" Deep. Wow. Okay. It's dedication. Yeah. Oh, it's a total total graduation from you know some of the FPS games of the past where you know you pick up a weapon and that weapon is. You know, it's finite. It's mm-hmm. there's nothing unique about it. You know, um, and I'm not dogging Gears of War for this, um, but like you know, in Gears of War, if you picked up a weapon, and I mean, you, you you see it on the ground, like yeah, you pick it up, and it's it looks like every weapon you can pick up like that style the whole rest of the game. Yeah. Um. So, not a, that's not a problem, but like no. you know, in Borderlands, you all of a sudden like you're you're picking up weapons and then like you know maybe you have uh someone drop into your game you're playing co-op for a little bit and like you're showing off your guns and you're like oh yeah dude i can totally see the difference between yours and mine mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah dude it's just uh once again it, it all comes back to what we just mentioned about being okay if you fail right like mm-hmm. like taking these types of chances on a game that already required people to take a chance to develop it i mean that spirit really brought us uh an absolutely like legendary game it just did yeah joe the i would say the the strength of borderlands 
really starts with the you know the supporting cast that you can pick as a playable character and uh, usually there's at least four of them mm-hmm. um, as we were greeted with in the first borderlands game yeah you get um, uh for what classes you've got what a, you got a gunzerker and then there's a, is it a soldier is that the class well so the gunzerker would be in mm-hmm. borderlands 2 yeah um in in borderlands one yeah so you had roll the soldier mm-hmm. um you had the the siren class you there's know a siren um, yep mm-hmm. yeah and then um we would end up getting like the hunter class you know um and then uh the berserker i think is who you're looking for i think he's called a berserker yeah, it's berserker class yeah, yeah. and the hunter class yeah. that's that, that's your that's your sword the sword boy of the series they're always yeah. the, the close range ones yeah 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 you got mordecai and bloodwing and then you got brick just running in there punching the shit out of things <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i mean honestly it's it's a really interesting balance right like i, I think they did a really good job with that in the beginning um, i always pick the soldier class because i love automated weapons and if you told me just to throw a turret out there and it'll shoot things for you you basically always have backup no matter where mm-hmm. you are so <laughs> so yeah yeah for me, I was a big Roland fan. Boy, I loved Roland back then. But um, I, I would say the only issue with with Borderlands 1 when it came to the characters, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we've talked about the landscape and the hyper violence and the dark humor. But the main characters, uh, if you weren't someone who bought the comics or, you know, tried to, to read into any of the logs and all that stuff, like if you were just playing through the standard game and interacting with the plot yeah these these characters didn't really do a whole lot for you that whole first game no no they didn't they're basically just what a a class selection you get to pick depending on if you like uh, a well-rounded character a tank character an upfront character or more or less i guess space magician um (laughs) so yeah it's just you you basically it's just your class and that is it and then um trying to remember is into the borderlands is that based off of two or uh, one or two the telltale game um oh the tales from the borderlands game Mm -hmm. is is a continuation so okay yeah that that's just a continuation of the events of borderlands 2 yep and i thought it was too because yeah i remember i definitely remember zero and uh zero being in there yeah Mm -hmm. yeah which yeah, we'll we'll get we'll definitely get to that Borderlands two cast because uh, yeah, a little bit more happens there, but mm-hmm. but ultimately, like Borderlands one, and and this this is we do we're very careful with this, right? Like we we're, we're very careful not to tear apart someone's creative vision for a game, right? Or or a creative vision for a comic or a movie or a TV series, right? Like we will definitely bring up some gripes here, but we're we're very specific not to just say like yeah this was this was bad this was bad yeah. and they should feel bad we yeah, never we're, say that kind of we're stuff. not going to be the people who make you work on something for three years and just say we're going a different direction <laughs> yeah. not not the kind of guys we are yeah yeah well i think it's just indicative of of what was going on in the in the first half of this show that we covered um this is a game that had to get completely stripped down and and reworked and so maybe the character's you needed a supplement because uh, they knew of everything else that you had to dig into and work through. And yeah, yeah, the character development. I mean, in most FPS games don't have a whole lot of time anyway. No, no. <laughs> so um, most of them are yeah. like, you, I don't know, you hear their name once in a while. It's kind of a typical backstory of the same thing. 
And I think it's like, maybe it's because like modern, like FPS, like the story is like, I don't know, there because like they know five people will play it, but mostly they're going to be doing online, like deathmatch and like uh, multiplayer stuff. Yeah. So like, there's just not a lot of attention uh, to those individual stories. Well, to tell you what, Joe, that's why we're here because yeah. uh, our unofficial mission has kind of become like this for folks who've been listening to us since day one. What we end up doing is going back and looking at a series that maybe someone missed, you know, or maybe you've heard about it, but you don't have the time to seriously dig into it. Yeah. I mean, really? And- 17 million gun combinations? You know, you <laughs> passed on that because of the math alone. And accounting for inflation, that's roughly 18 million gun companies. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? There's probably some math we could have done there. I'm shocked either one of us did it, but no, it's math. Who likes it? Yeah. (laughs) Well, here's what we're going to do. We'll do a really quick crash course on Borderlands 1. And the reason why, uh, just from a a story um, standpoint here, is because a lot of the story for Borderlands is hidden in the DLC. So if you never played the DLC and you just played the main game, there's some of this context you're going to miss out on. So we're not going to give away everything there. But what I would like to do is kind of set the stage for why Borderlands is even a story to begin with. And a lot of this has to do with some pretty common tropes in, in science fiction. Um, you know, like in the Firefly universe or the Firefly verse, as we call it. Oh, yes. Um, they always refer to the Earth that was right mm-hmm. and and that earth was used up and we had to move on that same kind of idea is here there's always a scarcity in resources and that's where power inevitably comes from in a lot of science fiction who can control it and then who goes to find it so ultimately in the borderlands universe um the setup for the first game comes from this power struggle to uh colonize a planet called pandora that we've talked about so main setting for the game. Mm-hmm. And now, and, now enlighten yeah. me because or maybe you're getting there, but from what we've basically said so far, Pandora, not very hospitable. So why on earth would we want to really settle there? <laughs> well, it's not so much settling. It's more harvesting. Okay. Ooh. What, what can we harvest from Pandora? And so in the game, you see this company called Atlas. Okay, like when you go to uh, the weapons machines and you see some of the gun manufacturers, Mm -hmm. you'll see Atlas pop up quite a bit. And the reason for that is because uh, this company put a bunch of money into Pandora and uh, trying to harvest these. uh, You've probably seen Iridium. You see Iridium a lot in the second game as a resource, right? Yes. Um, So they, they basically realize that there's, you know, some very you know, useful metals or, and things like that, that we can harvest from this planet. So um, <laughs> I look at Pandora as a, a worldwide Australia and I'll, and I'll explain this a that little bit better. <laughs> very, very accurate from the memes I've read about the, about the country slash continent. <laughs> well, who are you going to employ to be able to basically risk their lives to run machinery for a company that's here to pillage the planet of its, natural resources right mm-hmm. well so, just like just like anybody with uh you know in, in these sci-fi universes they they basically took prisoners and inmates and and uh people that they you know thought they could use and then uh basically tell them hey you'll have freedom eventually but you're gonna have to do this before you get it 
Um, so that's what they basically employed to do these mining operations and dig into Pandora. Uh, the yeah. worst kind of indentured servitude. Sounds great. Well, it gets worse, Joe. Oh. Why it gets worse is because they realized as they were harvesting iridium and, and some of the natural resources on this planet, that it did certain things to these prisoners, to these indentured Ooh. servants. And so oh. these end up becoming uh, the psychos that you see in the game. Oh, they, oh, that's yeah. them. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> they are like one electric guitar and chrome spray paint away from being the craziest bar you've ever seen in a movie. Oh, dude, absolutely. But the only difference <laughs> is, is that the guys that are at the bar have one arm that's about six feet long and then uh, another arm that's only about, you know, maybe two. And they're running at you with a giant sword in their hand. Yeah, they do <laughs> that. They do that frequently. Yeah, that's the difference. They found out when they were mining the uh, iridium that it it had a certain impact on the people that were touching them directly. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the second game too, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, slag becomes the term for the you know the pollution essentially created. Think think like uh, you know sci-fi crude oil, if you will. Gotcha. Um, and a a. Uh, Go uh, kudos to uh, to Gearbox for going with Iridium and not not some weird place filler like Unobtainium um, <laughs> yes. and just sticking with it. Oddly enough, the same name of the, the planet that they would pick in, <laughs> in the Avatar franchise. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that's what Borderlands 1 suffers from, Joe, is that this context is something that you don't necessarily get unless you poke around a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is some interesting story in here because, um, you know, part of the, the intrigue of this, this series is that you see what's called the Crimson Lance in the first game. And the Crimson Lance is actually like the militant arm of Atlas that's employed to, you know, help maintain operations on the planet. Yes, um, headed by and- none other than Frau Farbissina herself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, she... She is a mean bitch who, who heads up these operations. Uh, but ultimately, that's that's who comes in to police a lot of the, we'll call it the uh, the claim on Pandora, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Crimson Lance come in and they, you know, they've got some of the best weaponry. They're highly trained, you know, soldiers. And they've got some pretty kick-ass looking armor. It's got a lot yeah. going on for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just like how I said you could hump the hood of the Impala in Supernatural. I mean, <laughs> you, you can hump that, that helmet, man. The Crimson Lance have some badass suits. It's a good looking helmet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and oddly enough, though, uh, you do hear a little bit about this. So Roland, the soldier, he was a former Crimson Lance person who, um, you know, which I won't give away all of that. But he he ends up finding his way, uh, you know, onto the planet and, and doing other things. So so either way, uh, that that's just some some background building on stuff that you'll eventually find out in Borderlands One if you play through the DLC, you play through the whole game. But that whole resource war, which I think they actually referred to, it's like the corporate wars because mm-hmm. there would be other corporations who would be vying for power and and trying to you know tap into the, this planet, right? Yeah, but they also um, sell you guns that you get to use throughout the game. Oh, of course, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah, and which. Which makes that whole idea of corporate wars even funnier because just like what you mentioned, <laughs> every vendor has uh, has weaponry or technology sold by these companies after mm-hmm. after they abandon operations or they're they're done doing what they wanted to do on the planet. Yeah, they just they just sell their shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. 
Um, but yeah, yeah. So ultimately, uh, yeah, the, the Atlas Corporation, though, they find out about the vaults that are contained within Pandora. And so that becomes the motivating factor for, uh, for them to continue their operations here. And it also becomes the entire reason for why we're playing the game because yeah, because like all hunters, yeah, that's, that's the name that all of your characters take on, or the title, not the name. They all get called vault hunters. Yeah, yeah, they're just called vault hunters. They're wanting to find that vault, open it up, and see what's in there. Yeah, cracking that chestnut open. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only the only uh, complication in that Joe is that there was a super advanced alien race on pandora at one time called the iridians mm -hmm. so we talked about iridium yes well the iridians are our play on that right mm -hmm. and uh the alien race here tried to contain the vaults as best they could um mostly because they they realized the power of these vaults and why it was important to keep them shut which i will let folks either research on their own or play the game because uh these are some really awesome things to explore for yourself yeah um but either way, uh, so, so just the one, one tiny caveat, then just one small inconvenience to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, we're not mm -hmm. here to tell you the entire plot of a game and no. to uh, give your take on it today. Uh, ultimately, what we're trying to do is just give you the setting and, and to let you know what you're going to be getting into should yeah. you take that, that jump. Mm -hmm. Um, so either way, that so just to set the stage for you there, I mean, it's to me, I thought there was enough intrigue and enough mystery, you know, um, they did enough world building with this game, but they just didn't do it in time. <laughs> that was the problem. Um, it's, it's still a fun game. It's still a great experience, but if you did want to really, really dig deep into this and explore it for yourself, I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, there's plenty of things that you can, oh, you can yes. read or, mm -hmm. or watch. And so, I think that's just a testament to the creative team here. Oh yeah. Plenty of tie-ins that you can use to uh, figure more about the world of Pandora and it's, it's yeah, not settlement, but definitely, I mean, pillaging, we can say pillaging at this point. I think that's a fair word. Yeah. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah. Let's strip the planet for everything it's got and, mm -hmm. and uh, take everything not nailed down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's how we do things. <laughs> That's, well, that's that's the human yeah. way. Well, and speaking of the human way, that's that's what actually gives us, I think, the majority of the intrigue in, in Borderlands One is what these these humans did when either they got their freedom or these uh, corporations shut down, realizing just how dangerous things were, and got the hell out of there. Mm -hmm. Because that's largely what you're seeing in the aftermath of the experience in Borderlands is that. Yeah, these these bandits they built their own cities after a while. They uh they the some of the machinery that the corporations left behind, they created their own cities with those too. So uh, there is some uh some, you know, interesting like evolution of what happens uh with humanity after all that stuff shuts down. Um which which does drive the majority, you know, of the plot for that first game. So um so yeah yeah it's 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 a fun little romp you know mm -hmm. I, I obviously you and i had enough fun even though you were kind of a tag along on it but i mean <laughs> i mean i regret nothing i enjoyed my time yeah yeah which which you know what this is once again a case of of a studio that was listening because mm -hmm. you know borderlands 2 would be a huge launch you know borderlands 2 would end up taking you know some of the best aspects of one and and 
actually kind of leave those untouched yeah. and then just really put in a ton of effort into the things that, uh, that they decided to introduce. Yes. And I would agree to that. I really like, again, like you said, like the, the best parts of it, the developer knew this is the parts that like, these are the parts that like are, your gamers actually enjoyed. So instead of like trying to change that and make it more difficult, more complex, or basically just doing it for the sake of doing it, they just left it the same. So that a lot of the gameplay that works so well, like that's still there for you. Uh, and you're not getting new game mechanics for the sake of getting a new game mechanic. Yeah, it didn't feel like uh, in Assassin's Creed Revelations, you know, um, <laughs> like a mini game where they they brought in the tower defense thing. Mm-hmm. If you remember that. Oh, I recall the tower uh, defense. Yeah, an annoying <laughs> yeah, trophy I mean, it was, but we got it. I I, I mean, ultimately, uh, that's that's something I don't want to flesh out too much. But I mean, but that's the point. Like the point is, is Borderlands two uh continued to be great in a lot of the ways that they were in the first game whether that was the mm-hmm. you know the the all the different weapons you could get uh or the really fun uh like trees that you could develop for your characters you know they they just they they took those ideas and they they kept those really solid um but i think the biggest thing that they paid attention to was actually giving you probably one of the most uh well fleshed out villains of all time and handsome jack is easily one of my favorite bad guys i've ever had the joy of playing against yeah and you get um does it don't you get a lot more of him in the dlc for this game um so uh, not so much the dlc mm-hmm. um you get a lot more of his story in what would be the pre-sequel so the game that uh, you know, follows yes. the follows borderlands 2 um but in the yeah, in the DLC for Borderlands 2, though, it, it kind of uh, it, it goes into some different territory that uh, does discuss some of the Hyperion Corporation or the Hyperion. I, I think it's they're just called Hyperion. I don't think they're called Corporation. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's just but, Hyperion. Yeah. Yeah. But Hyperion, though, uh, oddly enough, we can kind of go down that that pl- uh, that path because Handsome Jack is like the CEO of Hyperion and Hyperion is the I don't know if we would call them the late arrival, but they're they're the people that show up after the Atlas corporation mm-hmm. and, you know, they, they start uh, trying to figure out, you know, how can we once again, strip down Pandora for all of its resources, pop open a vault while we're there, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Bob's your uncle yeah. and we're done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, yeah, let's just strip this thing down. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, handsome Jack though, man, as a, as a character, I mean, as a, um, as somebody that you're you're having to fight against, I mean, from the very beginning of the game, you know, once again, we're introduced to another set of vault hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, similar types of abilities, a little bit different. They did yep. tweak it just a little bit. But what I loved about Handsome Jack was like from the get go, this guy is like just he's just picking at you the whole time. Like you know, they they have their uh, their worldwide communication system. You know that you're you're all talking on. Yep. Big brother. And uh, yeah. And right away, <laughs> handsome Jack is just, he's talking mad shit on you the entire time. <laughs> um, like, I mean, he, first off, you're on a train at the beginning of the game and handsome Jack derails it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as soon as he finds out that you're alive, yeah, he's just picking at you. Like at one point, I think he's like eating pretzels mm-hmm. uh, while, while he's talking to you. So the guy doesn't even have 
enough respect to no. talk to you <laughs> without eating. Yep. And wasn't um, there something about a pony in him? Oh, comes yes. Up? <laughs> no, there wouldn't. It, yes, it would be a pony, but that pony would have a very specific name that he would later call Butt Stallion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> made made out of diamonds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A good old Butt Stallion. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and Handsome Jack, I mean, um, what I think he does really well in this game, uh, other than being voiced by Damian Clark, who, for those of uh, those fans of the show that uh, listen to our Supernatural episode, this guy would actually play the Rougarou uh, in in the episode of Supernatural that he appears. So uh, Damian Clark would voice Handsome Jack and really provide that sarcastic, snarky, uh, you know, just let's call him an asshole because that's what he was. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that. that, 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 that. <laughs> Don't have to be, don't have to beat around that bush. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. He's just a complete asshole. Uh, but Damien Clark, oddly enough, dude, he uh, didn't even plan to audition for Handsome Jack. Um, I think he just happened to be in the same building doing an audition for a different property at that point in time. Oh, no way. Yeah. It, they just said, hey, while you're here, why don't you go ahead and yeah, give that a shot? And bang this out. Almost like, uh, uh, what's his name from uh, Far Cry 3, where... They just liked his audition oh, so yeah. much that they made yeah. him a game character that wasn't even supposed to be in it. Yeah, Voss. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I forget the actor's name, but yeah, it's the same type of idea where you, you've got someone who never had a, an intention to you know, be that big a part of something. <laughs> and <laughs> boom, all of a sudden, here we are. Um, yeah, you know, ultimately, um, to not to get too far into Borderlands 2 because they did a really good job with what we've mentioned the the pre-sequel mm-hmm. and Borderlands 2 because the pre-sequel as you can probably figure out takes place after Borderlands 1 but before, before Borderlands 2, 2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it's so brilliant it's, name by the way pre-sequel yeah yeah it's a, it's a pretty brilliant name um but ultimately it acts as a a solid trilogy in a way because we've mentioned how you know Handsome Jack is easily one of the best villains of all time and I don't want to take away too much from that because for those who haven't played the game, uh, I don't want to rob you of that experience. Mm-hmm. He is such a good character uh, that they figured at, at Gearbox too. well, Handsome Jack is that great. Let's make another game with him. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so the pre-sequel would end up doing that. And so ultimately what I thought was great about this, Joe, is that um, it's not often that you get to see an experience for a character when you know that they, they, they're still like a good character that mm-hmm. eventually turns for the worse right yeah. and so that's what i thought was uh kind of a brilliant narrative from the gearbox folks on on the pre-sequel is that it really did tell a story of how good intentions can easily go the wrong way and that whole idea there's you know no, no good deed and goes unpunished in this case, it's it's uh, injected with with some iridium because um, the pre sequel definitely explores this. For one, the struggle of uh, these warring corporations on Pandora, because uh, you know it takes place on the, the on the moon, mm-hmm. Elpis, the moon of of Pandora, and so for some folks didn't actually care for the pre sequel nearly as much as Borderlands Two, right? Because uh, Borderlands 2 ended up having, you know, this this pretty massive release and it was dominating, you know, headlines when it came out just because yeah. of, of how solid the game it was. Um, but for those of you who are fans of 
of video game properties, the pre-sequel is a perfect game to help fully realize the motivations of Handsome Jack. Um, it's it's basically like a character study that that whole game is. And so you get to fully understand, you know, why Handsome Jack would become the person he was, not necessarily why he did the things he did, because they they fully uh, explore those things. They don't you don't have to really worry about figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the idea of of a, a game like this showing you how this type of character transformation is possible. Um, and so that's why I, I absolutely earmarked the pre-sequel because um, it didn't try to do a whole lot, man. Like they didn't introduce a whole lot of different mechanics other than the fact that uh, it's a moon. So there's less gravity. So you can Ooh. jump really far and hit things with your butt. It's like a bouncy house. <laughs> yeah. Well, at points. Yeah. At points, mm-hmm. because there's, there's sections of the pre-sequel that are like, like, you know, little gravity. And then there's others where, you know, there's a controlled environment, but mm-hmm. But yeah, like, so I, I, I didn't want to necessarily, you know, lump two in the pre-sequels together, but I mean, Gearbox did. Yeah, more <laughs> or less. And oh, granted, like, I don't, I never, I don't think I played the pre-sequel ever. So I think I've, oh, I've only bad. played, I only played one, two and three. Okay. I didn't even play no, that much as three, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. That, and that's fair. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. we talked about the RPG style of these games and, you know, even though even though it's a first person shooter as well, mm-hmm. these are very long games if you yeah. want them to be. Mm-hmm. They <laughs> so, really are. Yeah, like I don't I don't blame you at all for that, Joe. The no. the the big the big point here that I want people to know about because once again, I am trying very hard here to not give too much away here. <laughs> I <laughs> I just I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big thing that I I just want folks to take away from um this this handsome jack side of the series which i believe borderlands even called the handsome collection okay because he's you know handsome yeah that jack. sounds right mm-hmm. yep yeah. you, you um, may, may think he's like an 80s disc jockey for like a uh, like a radio host like on somewhere in la with that name <laughs> handsome jack but <laughs> no he is he is far more than that everyone yeah yeah I, he he is just uh the pinnacle of what i would think video game villains need to be um, someone that you've got a, a good understanding of from, you know, from the, uh, I guess the inception of his, ter- his descent into madness. That sounds about um, right. <laughs> yeah. But, but really what I think, um, they did a good job of from one to two, we talked about listening to the fans and what they wanted, you know, the reviews for one were, you know, were, were great from an action standpoint and the mechanics and what you were doing in the game. Right. Mm-hmm. The story was not the pinnacle. It was not the thing that you no. cared to focus on a whole lot in one, but in Borderlands Two in the pre-sequel, the story runs the show because we've already done such great work, or I say Gearbox did such great work on on just getting the mechanics of the game right. That in these next two games, the story was the focus. They absolutely nailed it, and so for anyone who you know. Uh, like loves to really plop themselves into a, a video game experience and the lore behind it. It doesn't get much better than these two games. Uh, mostly because you get to understand Joe, even more of this, uh, of these factions that are struggling for, you know, vying for power on Pandora and Elpis. Um, you get to really understand uh, more of the inspirations behind that 
and the relevance of, you know, of these energy sources, the, these vaults, quote unquote, right? Yeah, they, they definitely um, so, make it so it's more than just kind of like this mythical thing that everyone just kind of knows they really want, but no one really knows what's in it. We just have to get there. Uh, so they really take the time to flesh that out in, uh, in, the, in the upcoming games. Or I yeah. guess the not upcoming, like they're already out, but <laughs> the sequel well, games. <laughs> yeah, yeah these, these came out uh, roughly about seven years ago. Yeah, but hey. you, Yeah, you don't have to wait for them. No, <laughs> and, and that's the point, right? I really want people to play these games. Yeah, you absolutely should. If you have not played them, get out and play them. Or if you haven't played them in a while, get out there and play them again. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's something we didn't even mention, Joe. Uh, play them again because Gearbox, like we talked about before, these teams did not want to stop working on these games. So what did they do? They continued to crank out DLCs. They cranked out more features. They cranked out things that uh, you would get if you returned after not playing for a while. So they would give you uh, access to these keys that you could open up loot boxes with. I mean, they absolutely kept kept working on Borderlands 2 for, I mean, I think they're still working on it now. Um, <laughs> yeah, they haven't quite wrapped it up. They, they've released it a few times, but they've still got, they've still got people on it. Yeah. Oh, they, they're still, they're still pumping out content for this stuff. So yeah, that, that's what I think uh, tying it back to the development cycle of this to, to realize is that um, this isn't just a game that is trying to push out, you know, a game every year. They, they absolutely don't do that. So uh, just, just credit to the team that they, they absolutely care about what they're doing. Um, so that kind of brings us though to, to Borderlands 3. And similar to other topics that we've covered before, if we don't have enough knowledge on it and we haven't done enough with it, we're not going to pretend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't played enough of Borderlands 3, mostly because I, I decided after spending nine months to build a proton pack, maybe I should actually try doing that with children finally. <laughs> um, so that's why I didn't get to play much Borderlands 3. But Joe, it sounds like you've had a little bit more time with it. Yeah, yeah. I've got... Uh, um a couple of friends that I, I went to college with and then uh, my, my buddy Matt um, has a, a punch on for buying lots of games and not always getting around to them. But Borderlands three was one of them that he did get around to when I came to visit and we got, I, don't, I, I really don't know how long the game is. So I don't know how far we actually got playing it, but honestly, um, I had a lot of fun playing it. It was definitely harder than it was more difficult than the previous two games that I'd played. But I mean, I got to play as um, what I think it's called a, a mechromancer where you build up an ultimate and you get to summon a mech comes down and you get to run around in that. So obviously, you know, giant robots, it just gets me. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I know that gauge the mechromancer came out in, in Borderlands 2. Um, so they so they revived that class in three. Yeah, I forgot about Gage because Gage was DLC and I, I, I didn't get to play for the DLC with Gage. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I mean, once again, speaking to the uh, the dedication of of Gearbox and just you know continuing to crank out content, uh, two of the fan favorites from Borderlands 2 ended up being DLC characters. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but uh but ultimately i i totally agree with you on what i have played with borderlands 3 so far because in in one and two you know once you played the the main game which the main game was uh i would say it's challenging to a point but not impossible you know like there's once you figure out how bosses move and how you know characters behave and and just how to work with the environment those games are very enjoyable pretty easy just to kind of you know set it and forget it to quote mm-hmm. the <laughs> that old infomercial <laughs> but i mean seriously though like they're they're not that hard um really to get through the main story like they want you to enjoy it so mm-hmm. that's what like game mode plus was for you know because you've got the harder versions of the of the game that you can play through yep and yeah and, uh, and what what honestly for the whatever developer first came up with new game plus oh love it just being able to go back through the story it is harder but you get to keep all of your gear and your stuff from the previous gameplay oh yeah so great games like that um i think the arkham series starting with arkham cities when you get to start new game plus uh the newest god of war has new game plus oh so so it's such a fun idea yeah and borderlands would do this in every entry you know of the series and so by the time i got to three because i like I said, I didn't get to play it that long before I had to, you know, basically uh, raise my family here and <laughs> do the right thing. <laughs> but, but yeah, three was incredibly hard out the gate. Yeah, um, I, I remember just the the tutorial section and and getting through that first area. It was I, I died so many times that I had to check to see if I'd actually picked like a difficulty or something. Um, and, uh, so I've heard other people say that Mm -hmm. too, though. Um, so, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe gamers just got better and I, I haven't practiced as much, you know, or I don't know, like maybe that could be, and I think it's harder. I really do like granted again, like my experience of running through like borderlands was definitely like, again, like you're at level 50 and I'm there at level one and everything (laughs) is just dying and I just get to like, you know, profit from it. But yeah. even then, like, I remember, like, like even on, like, the second playthrough and my level's now closer to yours, and now the villains are, like, a lot harder, the enemies are, are tougher. And even then, like, it wasn't as difficult as what how Borderlands 3 started out. And I'd also like yeah. to point out that, like, what, I, uh, I've been out of, like, really any sort of competitive gaming. Grand, like, competitive gaming, I'm not a pro gamer. Pff, I'm too old. <laughs> no, that... <laughs> That's that was that's I'm yeah, not my generation, but like I mean, like I freaking picked up Overwatch for the first time again in like almost a year of like not going with PlayStation Plus. I pick it up and I went like 30 and two in com- like in a competitive match. I'm like, huh, did everyone just like start sucking after I left because I'm not this good normally? But no, this game, like I still remember three, like being being pretty difficult out the gate, yeah, which which I will say. I, I'm not. It didn't like it keep me from continuing to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we've talked about the Borderlands, you know, series here, and what has worked really well after, you know, the first game not being very strong on the story front, but mm-hmm. strong on gameplay. Um, what may have worked against me at first, other than you know having my my uh, parental obligations here. Um, was the fact that there is a strong story in two in the pre-sequel. We've talked about the Telltale series as well with Tales from the Borderlands. Mm-hmm. And Tales from the Borderlands, 
also takes what became a very, very well fleshed out universe and characters that are memorable, characters that you've gotten to really enjoy interacting with. And Handsome Jack would be one of those characters. You interact with him again in the pre-sequel, or and sorry, in the uh, Tales from the Borderlands. Mm-hmm. And so I I will say one of these things worked against me for Borderlands 3 is because we've talked about how in the Assassin's Creed series, the strong performance of the Ezio trilogy really kind of took the wind out of it for me when I got to Assassin's Creed 3. Yeah, not to mention they even switched up composers on you and Jesper Kidd got the axe. Oh. Everything changed on you. That's yeah, just 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 too much. I <laughs> my heart couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And and that I wouldn't say that happened here. I mean, I still bought Borderlands 3. I still mm-hmm. do plan to get through it at some point. Um, but I've already given a lot of credit to Borderlands 2, the pre-sequel, and now the Tales from the Borderlands game. You know, their we'll call it the Handsome Jack trilogy now is incredibly strong. I mean, it is incredibly strong start to finish. Um, so for folks that didn't even play one and just came in at the handsome collection, he didn't pick a bad time to do it. (laughs) He really did. Um, so I guess if anything, if I'm going to give a a warning to people, it's that, um, yeah, that, I mean, if you're a fan of borderlands, like just, you can just disavow me right now. Cause I'll, I'll say this. Um, but for me, I probably could have stopped at tales from the borderlands and I would have been just as happy. Seriously. Like that's, that's how much fun I had. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's it's like saying, like, obviously, like the handsome, the handsome Jack stuff is kind of like the peak, but at the same time, like, you can still enjoy three. I mean, that was like, I gotta keep like referencing Assassin's Creed three. I'm not going to deny that the Ezio stuff is probably like probably like the best games. However, like to me, Assassin's Creed three is still my favorite game. It's like, yeah, someone has like a a, a well trained German Shepherd. That is just like <laughs> obedient as all heck and does everything and is a, is a super great boy. And then here's me with my dorky corgi. And I'm like, my corgi is better than your sweet German shepherd, even though mine will like a straight up abandon me when he sees another dog. And my <laughs> and my neighbor, Eric, he will like completely just like say, you know, fuck off, Joe. Eric's around. But I think I like him more. He is my Assassin's Creed 3. <laughs> and he and could think, be your yeah. Borderlands 3. He could be your Borderlands 3. Well, and that's and that's ultimately the point I was going to make was that um, I enjoyed so much of the interactions that you get with the handsome Jack character, and and all of all of that experience because uh, I'll I'll be blunt with you we're not going to cover the Tales from the Borderlands series today or the, the game today um, because that is phenomenal. I mean the the oh, Telltale yeah. folks they took they they took basically a a universe that was ripe for this type of uh, you know, like swashbuckling adventure, but also introducing new people, new characters into it. Um, so they, they actually did a brilliant job with, with crafting a story because the people from tales from the borderlands, they actually end up uh, influencing some of the narrative for borderlands three. So for me to say, you know, I probably could have ended been just as happy I absolutely need to finish Borderlands 3 because of that, because I know that there's there's people that I've played with and interacted with that are in this game, and I really want to see what they do. Um, I I've somehow remained spoiler-free on Borderlands 3, which is enough of a, a feat in itself. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I absolutely think that uh, 
would be a good idea for us, Joe, is maybe even live play this bitch and and show people Borderlands Three. Uh, some of our viewers that you know want to see us fumble through what is a pretty tough game. Hey, I'm I'm game for that. If uh, if if we have the technology to share that, I mean, it, it the technology is out there, but do we have it? <laughs> it is true that we have a sarcastically low budget for this show, as I'm sure our viewers are aware of. Oh, we we have not exceeded the triple digits for this show. And I mean, we haven't even gotten halfway through those triple digits. <laughs> we, no. <laughs> hey, we're doing better than you might think. And once again, we do thank everyone for their support. Um, and thank you for joining us as well for today, you know, because this is a series that, you know, for, for some folks, it might be difficult to, to pick a starting point, you know, with, with video game experiences, especially ones that, that span, you know, close to 10 years, it can be daunting to, to try to figure out, okay, should I just start with one or should I maybe, you know, just, just jump in at the, the height of popularity and then work my way back. Um, honestly, if you do decide to jump in at two and, you know, play some of the handsome Jack stuff and then go back to the beginning, I think you're going to appreciate it differently than you would had you started like I did. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely have fun with the series. Go back, revisit it. There is a ton of content there that you're going to enjoy. Well, thank you for listening to our exploration of Borderlands, a video game series that punched us in the teeth with its creativity and built a world that would mix danger, familiarity, and fun all into one. If you enjoyed this topic, though, why not mention it to others who may enjoy it as well? As we mention literally every week, please comment, subscribe, and leave a review. This critically helps our show to keep growing. We'd also like it if you share a post every now and again. But hey, we love our listeners, and we'd love to keep bringing you more content. As an added bonus, those that leave us a review might be mentioned in future episodes. Join us next week as we take a look at analyzing the rise of anti-heroes in popular media. Did we just get tired of superheroes being too good for their own... Uh... Good? Or are we as humans showing a bit too much of our own struggles with idolizing questionable decision makers? You'll get to the bottom of anti-heroes and just how deeply intertwined we are with them in today's media. And until next time, keep on dissecting. <laughs>